Welcome to Bite Side. I'm Seamus Byrne. I'm feeling very enthusiastic today because I'm very tired and therefore I'm just full of that weird energy you get on a day when you're too tired and then you're overtired and like a small baby, you feel like you're not sure if you want to cry or scream or just get on with your day. Nick Healy, I guess you're always up at this time of day, so how do you feel? <laughs> I'm pretty good. Uh, no, you were even up before me. I My alarm goes off at about 10 past four, and I think you were well and truly up and checking out what Apple had on offer. That's right. Yeah, I had a good hour and a half on you this morning. Wow. Um, yeah, you know, WWDC, so that's their developer conference, uh, clearly a full virtual event this year. Um, and, you know, I think kudos, it, it had the very Apple feeling where if they're like, well, if we're going to have to do it as a virtual presentation, it was all this very slick pre-recorded uh, series of demos, uh, you know, shot all around the beautiful Apple campus. Even at the end, they actually did a credit sequence where they sort of showed all of the uh, like COVID safety uh, steps that they took to kind of ensure that they filmed it all very carefully and safely for everybody involved. Um, but we got, you know, new things like this is the software event. So it's not when they announce all the new hardware, <sighs> but for all the developers, it's saying here's the new features you guys get to start playing with before the new operating systems launch in a few months' time. And so the biggest things that I think we saw were, well, there were, you know, there ended up being some interesting hardware stuff mentioned because the big thing being that Apple has officially declared that they're leaving Intel processors behind and are going to move to their own Apple Silicon, as they just referred it to, because I guess they're not going to give it a fancy new name until they're ready to launch a new MacBook that features this, this new tech. But it is essentially going, we've gotten so good at making processors for our, uh, iPads and iPhones and that they have gotten so much better so quickly that it's time we stop relying on someone else to do our chips for our uh, laptops and start doing our own of those as well. That is a really big move. Now, I'm so behind the scenes on this. Uh, the last thing I remember is there was huge amounts of uh, controversy over the fact Samsung were making their A3, A4 chips for them. Obviously, we've moved on since then. That was years ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're up to, I think, the A14 chip Oh, now, bloody so hell, what? <laughs> it really is. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think they work with TSMC out of Taiwan as kind of one of their main teams now. But, like, well, I mean, in that space, it's amazing in that, like, I, I heard TSMC is up to making uh, their, like, their next factories are going to be based on a three nan nanometer technology, you know, in terms of, just, you know, the, the space between the, um, you know, the, the circuits on the circuit board. Um, and yeah, we're into this kind of amazing space where like, you know, quantum jumping of, of, of stuff starts to be part of how you have to design these chips. It's just insane. And it's, and it's at a level that like Intel hasn't been able to get down to those sorts of, of scales. And if, and it is kind of fundamental that, you know, once you're the, the smaller the scale of the size of your chip, the faster it can run. And so there's kind of obviously lots of other factors. Um, that's boiling it down way too far, but it is. It's a huge deal. It's been 15 years since they moved to Intel from the old IBM processors. Um, and yeah, here they are again going, you know, we're doing, we're doing it again. Uh, one of the people in the demo actually said, um, since 
the start of the iPhone, the iPhone CPU is a hundred times faster than it was when it launched. Mm-hmm. And the graphics processing is a thousand times faster than it was back at launch. Um, so yeah, they just, you know, and, and like any benchmark shows that, you know, Apple's kind of chips, even in the mobile landscape is just, yeah, much, much faster than, um, anything anybody else is doing. So, I mean, you know, good on them for taking it. But of course, that means now you have to map out when am I going to buy a new laptop? Do I want, the current one, which will be stable for a few more years, uh, you know, because the new ones might not sort of, you know, like last time, there was always that concern where you go, do you buy the first generation of the brand new processors <laughs> or do you buy the last generation of the old processors and then swap in a couple of years' time? Lots of those decisions for people to make. So outside of the hardware, though, the only other thing I saw on social media, um, well, yeah, not the only thing, but the big one people seem to be talking about is that your Apple OS on your mobile device is now going to look a lot more like Android. Yeah. And right, you know, as Apple is wont to do, they kind of present it like they've just, you know, uh, brought about this giant new revelation of like, imagine <laughs> if you could have widgets on your home screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've. I remember doing that an awful lot when I used to use, uh, you know, <laughs> HTC phones in the earliest days of Android. Um, but it is one of those cases where you go, yeah, I, you know, I would never make that the reason for choosing my operating system, but I'm really pleased that I'm going to be able to do that now because it is quite handy to have info directly on your home screen instead of needing to kind of launch every single thing. If if you just want to see the weather, just have it on my home screen. I don't want to have to launch the app every time. Um, So this sort of stuff will make... Yeah, you know, will make the experience just a little bit nicer. And, you know, that's a, that's a positive. The other big things were, you know, well, you know, there are lots of stuff, but I think the other ones that jumped out were unlocking your car, oh. um, using your oh. iPhone. How good does that look? So that's going to be, yeah, that's going to be really cool. Um, and interesting that, you know, last year they introduced this U1 ultra wideband chip and everyone was like, Oh, they're not even really using it for anything yet. They've said that that is actually going to be part of a new standard that the kind of automotive industry is going to start to kind of work around for making this a more widely sort of standardized process of using this kind of a chip in phones to be able to do this kind of unlocking. And based on that, you can then like send an invite to another friend to be able to unlock your car using their phone. So that's kind of a clever part of it. And you could literally do things like say, oh, I'm going to let them unlock my car, but not drive the car. So they could get something out of my car for me, but not be able to drive it. Um, and then, you know, in another sort of deeper dive that we sort of heard, heard about, um, they even kind of pointed out things like, uh, you in the, in the BMWs, which is going to be the first cars to support this, the 2021 BMW 5 series. You're even going to be able to do things like say, you know, say you give a key to, you know, the, uh, a younger family member in your life. You could even do things like, I'm going to set a maximum audio volume. I'm going to set a maximum top speed for the car. I'm going to set a maximum horsepower that the car can use. Um, so really, really interesting layers of exactly what kind of degrees of, you know, it's not just about going, if your phone's nearby, it can start. It's like, whose phone is it? Okay, that person has this much permission to use the car. That is absolutely wild. 
um, and, and far beyond what I'd, I'd known it to be. So that is actually really incredible. That said, and I don't want us to get sidetracked on this too much, I mean, you and I yeah. have got really excited over smart locks in the home before. All of that functionality has yes. been around for a while. How many people are using smart locks? Um, what in the home? Yeah, bugger. Or, yeah. Uh, so or... I don't know. Like you know, we, this technology—it's an interesting application of it. It has been around for a while. It's still a question of whether people are actually looking for this. Yeah, and there is that kind of factor though, right? Where you know the tech can be around for a while. Apple does have quite a skill for popularizing a tech that had already been around uh-huh. and they give it the song and dance and they show people, you know, they are so good at making an ad that shows off a feature and suddenly you go, oh, of course I've wanted that feature all my life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So-, so one other thing from this morning's uh, event, I wanted to point out AirPods getting a, a really cool firmware update. Um, which is giving them spatial audio technology. And so the idea with that is it can do, um, you know, surround sound audio if you want to watch a movie on your thing, even supporting Dolby Atmos if you're going to sort of watch something on your iPad. Um, and so that's kind of super surround sound kind of experience using, you know, just really good smart um, audio filtering technology. But the cleverest part is if you turn your head, it will maintain the audio surround sound environment based on where the screen is, not where you turned your head. Oh, my. Because it's going to use the accelerometers in the headphones. So that noise that is meant to be behind you, if you turn your head, it's going to start to shift to stay behind the screen. And then, likewise, if you started to move the screen, it's going to use the accelerometer in the screen as well to, again, just always maintain that positioning based on where the screen is. That is super cool. And that's available through a firmware update. Yeah, so firmware update for the uh, for the AirPods, and then obviously in iOS fourteen with sort of the way the the tech stuff is going to you know, upgrade. But so good for you know being able to watch a movie in bed on an iPad and then still have a like surround sound experience. That's going to be really cool. I am really really impressed with that. Actually, that's genuinely quite remarkable. Okay, okay, okay. Are you sitting down? Yeah. Okay, yes. I have got a bit of a wild ride for you, uh, of a journey through customer service hell. Oh, my God. Yeah, okay, okay, just work with me here because I'm telling this. In a local shop, I imagine, you know, because it's bite side. You probably must have been down (laughs) your local shops. (laughs) Sadly, this is from Wish. Now, Chinese manufacturer or Chinese, I don't know, Emporium is a better way of putting it, Wish kind of has that Alipay, like Alibaba sort of store craziness going on. Well, I got a bit obsessed with just the ads I would see everywhere. Facebook tended to be full of them. You're looking (laughs) at these things, you're like, I have absolutely no idea what that is, what that's meant to be. I ended up installing the app simply so I could click on those and go, oh, that wasn't nearly as exciting as I thought it was. Or occasionally, that's even significantly weirder than it looked when it was a tiny (laughs) little thumbnail. It really is like that. Now, end of April, on my birthday or around my birthday, I decided that what I really needed was a cowboy-style poncho. And wish it ended up had just the poncho I was looking for, a um, rather nice grey and red number, all very kind of, I don't know, Clint Eastwood-ish in its own way. And I'm like, that's what I'm going to get. That's going to go so nicely, it. so nicely with my cowboy hat. And so I ordered it. Now, a grand total of 48 bucks to have it delivered. 
very, very affordable. Not the money that's the issue here. I just want to make that really clear when you hear this story. I'm not worried about 48 bucks. Anyway, last Thursday, the package arrived. And what was in it was two pair of incredibly ugly, incredibly stinky women's shoes. <laughs> now, when I say stinky, they've got that really synthetic glue cheek oh, smell. Yeah. And it just permeated the whole room. And I'm just looking at this pair yeah. of, of, of red and purple shoes. And I'm like, that's not what I ordered. That's really clearly not what I ordered. Now, the Wish app lets you contact customer service directly from the product that you've bought. And I thought, well, that's very clever. So I did reach out. And I'm like, you know, I'm filling in all the details. I'm saying, you've actually sent me the wrong product. And they're like, upload a photo. And I'm like, yep, here's a photo of the shoes. And here's the packing slip or rather the um, you know, front of the package showing that this definitely says shawl, which they've said, and, you know, poncho shawl. I'm willing to take that. It's definitely yep. got my name on it. And I got this response. Hi, Nick. Thanks for reaching us. I apologize for the inconvenience and sorry to hear of the issue with your order. After reviewing your order, we are unable to issue a refund. Don't hesitate to contact us if you have any other questions. Now, I had some other questions, such as, why can't yes. I get a refund for it's clearly a pair of women's shoes and not a cowboy poncho? So I re-uploaded the photos and I said, here's the issue. And they're like, yeah, okay, we've reviewed it. And you don't get to have a refund on that. And I'm like, okay, maybe there's just, you know, a language issue here. So I had a third go and then a fourth go. And at that point, they blocked me from raising any more customer service questions about this on the app. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So I found... Blocked by wish. Yeah, blocked by wish from raising customer service inquiries. <laughs> so I tracked down uh, their customer service email um, uh, on the web. Uh, they're out of San Francisco, according to that. And I contacted them and I said, look, here's the issue. Your customer support isn't able to help me or offer me a refund. And they replied, that's terrible news. So sorry about that. You'll need to contact customer support. Here's how you do it. And I'm like, okay, but I, I've already indicated to you that I have done that. Uh, and they've said that they won't give me a refund. And they're like, oh, wow, you're going to need to contact customer support. And then once again, giving me the list of how to do it. That oh. went on three or four times, three or four times there. So I turned to wish support on Twitter and sent a direct message saying, hi, been unable to get help from customer support or from your email. Are you able to help? They're like, certainly can. You need to contact customer support. Here's how you do it. And I'm like, well, actually, <laughs> just want to make it really clear. Uh, again, I've contacted customer support. They've said I'm not eligible for a refund for what is clearly a wrong product. They're like, oh, wow, send us the details. And I'm like, we are getting somewhere. So I did. I sent all of those details. I sent screen grabs. I sent photos of the shoes. I sent photos of what the poncho was meant to look like. I did everything. And they said, thanks for reaching out. You're going to need to contact customer support. Here's how you do it via the app. Oh, oh. So like, is every... <laughs> Is that all automated or something? It must be. Every time I think I'm talking to a person, oh. they, you know, it turns out that maybe I wasn't. I've gone through this so many times until yeah. last night we hit the point. I contacted my bank and I marked the transaction to wish for $48 yep. as a fraudulent transaction. Yeah, fair enough. We actually hit that point. And then I decided yeah. I'm going to let wish know. So I contacted yep. them 
And I said, I have, just letting you know, told my bank that this transaction is fraudulent. And they've responded with, I'm so sorry to hear you had a poor experience. Let us know if there's anything we can do to help. (laughs) Which means it must be absolutely automated. But I just, I've never had a runaround like this for what should be a really simple, they're clearly shoes, not a poncho. I wasn't even necessarily yeah. after a refund. I would have sent the shoes back if I knew there was a poncho on yeah. the way. If anyone's listening and they're staring at a poncho instead of what should have been a pair of, and I do apologise for calling them ugly, but they are pretty ugly, ladies' shoes, get in touch. I'm happy to do a swap here. They might have been for a costume. It you could know? have been for anything. Maybe you really like stinky yeah. shoes. I can't, you know, I'm not here to judge. So but, did the And the packing slip said shawl. So, like, it kind of was meant to have... Clearly. Not shoes. <laughs> Something has gone terribly wrong. Something has gone absolutely, yeah. terribly, confusingly wrong. Now, it is entirely possible that what went wrong was perhaps when the package arrived for Australia Post. Maybe it came off the boat from China. There are a whole bunch of them. Australia Post has got to put its own packing slips. Maybe the stuff up happened there. But I would have said that the vendor would still be responsible for that. Yeah. I yeah. just want to contrast like, this. it is... Because yeah. this one, last night, last night was a big night for customer support. Um, I did something I don't do nearly enough. And I actually was having a bit of a look at my bank statement. And I'm like, wow, Amazon's charged me 20 bucks. What if I bought from Amazon for 20 bucks? The answer, nothing. I don't remember buying anything from Amazon for 20 bucks. And it's marked down as a subscription. I'm like, oh, is it my Amazon Prime membership? And I'm like, that can't be right. That's $6.99. And, and, yeah, and exactly. that's just that's below here. And I kept looking and I'm like, hang on, this is roughly between $18 and $22 every month for quite some time. So oh my God. It, it transcri- <laughs> transpires that I've been subscribed to Prime US and Prime Australia at exactly the same time without somehow anyone noticing, oh. including myself. So I'm, you know, it's on me. That one is definitely on me. I should have been seeing that money coming out of my account. It's not the end of the world. It's a pain in the bum. I go on to Amazon US. I'm like, hey, turns out I'm subscribed to both US and AU. Just need to fix that one up. And they're like, absolutely no issue at all. And then they go away for about 15 minutes. I'm like, okay, it's a really long time. This is just one of those lovely little chat, you know, um, sessions. Oh, yeah. They come back and they're like, I'm still here. Just hang on. Just hang on. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Are they going to tell me I can't cancel something going weird here? And yeah, goes on. contact customer support. I was expecting that. (laughs) What instead I got was, hey, we've fixed that and you should be getting the refunds of that from May 2017 onwards. Whoa. Wow, that's like a... A lovely savings deposit you've suddenly discovered you had. I didn't even ask for that. I didn't expect it. And and bluntly, I don't think I deserved it, but they are (laughs) refunding me from May 2017 through to now after one quick conversation. Yeah, that's lovely. So there we go. Wow. And, you know, there's a rarity, a really nice news story about Amazon.com. I absolutely needed it compared to Wish.com. Anyway, thank you for my journey through uh, customer support hell. It's been um, it's Jeez. been a wild the ride. It's like Wish is such a high volume, you know, Facebook ads galore. It just, it, it seems like they would have really efficient returns policy stuff because it is in that, 
world of just weird stuff where things might not always be exactly what you'd hope for. You'd think they would have sort of just something more efficient than than what you just experienced. I honestly thought it would be almost automated for something under 50 bucks. They'd be like, yeah, no worries. Like it can't yeah. cost them that much. Yeah, right. <laughs> like it's just like, yeah, 50 bucks. We're not even, we're not even paying attention to you. Here's your $48. Please shut up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is a trifling matter. <laughs> on your way. Please spend that money on more random stuff. When oh, yeah, so. you know I'm going to. Look, um, I need you to help me out for a little bit because I've seen quite a lot of chatter about Mixer shutting down. And I vaguely remember Mixer being mentioned a few times at a couple of Xbox events, but I've never really got a handle on it. But I'm seeing quite a bit of anger about this. Yeah, so... um. This morning, in those wee hours, um, watching the Apple keynote, uh, it was quite remarkable given sort of my overlap into tech and esports and, you know, live streamer land, um, at times in terms of things that I try to cover. Um, it was about 4.30. So it was just in the final quarter hour of the Apple event that, um, Microsoft dropped the bomb that Mixer was closing down, uh, one month's notice and they were, Basically, off that you know, Facebook gaming was going to be where everything would re- redirect to. And if someone was currently a partner on Mixer, um, meaning that they you know are able to earn money through the platform and um, through subscriptions and different kinds of uh, you know uh, sort of microtransactions, um, then they would be able to automatically get partner status over on Facebook gaming and be encouraged to do so. Um, and yeah, it was essentially you know, Microsoft waving the white flag on trying to compete with Twitch. And so, you know, Mixer has been around for about, I think, four years. Um, I think it was probably renamed to Mixer about three years ago. And you're right. So you mentioned, you know, you see it on Xbox kind of quite a bit. It, that's, it sort of originally launched as an Xbox only streaming ah. platform and then became sort of a, a broader platform that people could use to stream from their PC, all that kind of stuff. The really big play that Microsoft made with this, because for a long time it sort of felt like they were dabbling, and it did have some pretty clever features, you know, things like much more interactive options for, you know, for fans to be able to to interact with what was happening in a stream. Um, I think it had lower latency as well in the sense that what you were seeing was closer to real time. Um, whereas, you know, sort of Twitch runs on quite a bit of a delay. Um, and so that would mean then that things like, you know, different streamers could set up different interactive options to let people kind of influence the games they were playing and stuff. So, you know, lots of kind of efforts to try to set themselves apart from what else was going on. Um, but then last year, their huge play, and I believe someone said it was 324 days ago, so not quite a year, um, when they paid a massive deal to bring Ninja over to Mixer That's and steal right. him away from Twitch. Yeah. Yeah. And to become an exclusive Mixer streamer. Um, the deal was uh, valued at about $30 million over three years. Uh, was the rumor on that one? Well, I think more than a rumor. I think that was, it became sort of, you know, known information. Um, and then about two months later, I think they, uh, wooed Shroud, who was the second biggest streamer on Twitch, um, over as well. And so they essentially, and then I think there was a third person that they also, um, wooed. And, um, 
And the big thing was really that, uh, you know, there was some stats a couple of months ago that showed that while almost every other game streaming platform had, you know, like triple digit percentage growth year over year, especially during the whole sort of pandemic period when people are spending more time at home and looking for stuff to watch, uh, Mixer's year over year growth was like 0.2%. And that was having spent all that money to get some of the biggest streamers in the world onto their platform. So, yeah, it just seemed like they were not making any headway whatsoever, even after that kind of investment. And so they pulled the plug. But what was horrific this morning was that a lot of their, well, basically everybody who was just sort of ordinary partnered streamers, I get the feeling, you know, the Shrouds and Ninjas probably had a bit of a heads up, but it seems like um, potentially a lot of staff and certainly the streamers on the platform only found out when a tweet went out at 4.30 this morning that it was shutting down. Um, so I kind of tuned in for about an hour or so um, when all that kind of was going down and looking at the top streamers on the platform who were live at the time, there was absolute fury. Mm. There were tears. There was just this feeling of betrayal because people had, you know, worked so hard. It is really hard to get established as a streamer on any platform. So these people feeling like they've put in all this work and, Suddenly, it's being pulled out from under them, and even that idea of you know, oh, we'll we'll give you a direct pathway to being a, a partner over on Facebook Gaming. You still have to build your community from scratch all over again. Um, and so, like in real time, there were people basically setting up their Twitch accounts and asking their you know viewers to go follow them over there. There were people reading through their like contracts, talking about how rubbish it was all turning out to be, and like there was just such an outpouring of grief for the fact that they had been kind of screwed over like this. And as some people are even saying, they're like, it's like I, it, the fact, the thing that really got me was that idea that we, we've often kind of joked about the fact that Mixer was so much smaller and it wasn't doing as well as Twitch, but that's kind of in that aggregate level. If you are somebody who has a community of like a thousand followers and you know, has like more than a thousand people tuning in to watch you whenever you're streaming, you still have a really important community and like those people really care and you kind of have this sort of family vibe. And that's what a lot of them were really kind of feeling the fact that they have lost this community and that effort to work out in real time. How do we, how do we choose together to kind of go somewhere else knowing that, you know, plenty of people aren't going to kind of necessarily follow you to wherever you go. Um, but you know, there was one girl I saw sort of, yeah, someone in her thing was kind of like going, well, hopefully we cross paths again somewhere else. And she's like, no, like we're a family. We need to find a way to stick together in this. And, you know, and you could just see how palpable the whole thing was and that it just seemed like it was handled so badly because you sort of think, okay, yep, there's no question that if you send your letter to all your partners, someone's going to leak it, but you don't have to send it to them long before you then release the news everywhere else. But that's where everybody felt betrayed. The fact that they learned the news because of the official Mixer tweet that announced that it was all going to shut down on July 22nd. 
So my question now is: Does this leave Twitch in just the dominant position? Is there was there a third party who can come and take up the slack on this, or is Twitch just way above everyone else now? So yeah, I think Twitch is head and shoulders out in front because everything else right now is essentially YouTube gaming and you can live stream on there, but it is just kind of fully integrated into the wider YouTube experience, hmm. um, which just, you know, like I've kind of, tr- look, I've even struggled to keep up with some of my favorite Blizzard esports because they made an exclusive deal with YouTube this year. And, and it's just not where I go looking for my live streams. It's like there is just that kind of feeling that you like Twitch is where there's a bunch of TV channels that I go looking for real-time gameplay. When I open YouTube, real-time gameplay is not what is put front and center on my screen. (laughs) And so I'm not even sure when I open it, like, oh, is there a thing on right now? I can't remember when the next match is going to be played in Overwatch or in StarCraft or whatever it might be. There's always that kind of weird thing where that's just not what YouTube has put front and center. And I think they need to make a choice to genuinely create, you know, a separate app environment to say, yes, we believe in live streaming as its own thing. Like it can still all be there in the normal app, but create that environment where it's like, I want to arrive and then find out what is live right now, not just watch some random videos and now and then watch some live stuff. And then Facebook gaming is is the other one. And again, it's just same, that same idea. It's just part of the portal. And in that sense, it's not really foregrounded in any meaningful way. You kind of have to go and specifically find some community you want to join. Whereas I think that's where sort of Twitch has been so successful is you can just kind of browse lots of things that are happening in real time and then discover interesting people that you think, oh, I will follow that person. I'd like to bump into their stream again in future. Um, and so that's, you know, and of course, Twitch these days is owned by Amazon. So it's not even that idea of like, oh, well, you know, is Twitch going to survive long term? It's like they've, they've got Bezos money. You know, they, <laughs> they're, they're here for a long time to come. Um, my one kind of crazy theory on who could potentially create a new competitor, because I think the big scary thing about this is that idea of, okay, Microsoft couldn't even even take on Twitch. And so I feel like a lot of the people leaving Mixer will almost feel like, you know, Google has such a history of choosing to pull the rug out from various services that you think like, oh, this is great. I love this service. And then they go, yeah, yeah, that wasn't doing enough for us. So we're just going to, you know, sunset that app or whatever it might be. Um, and so you kind of suddenly are scrambling for another tool. So it's like, who knows if they stay committed to live streaming as a thing. Um, same with Facebook. You're like, they, you know, they, change their kind of opinion on what's important, like the weather. So could you really feel like they're committed to you? So it feels like Twitch is that place where you think, well, at least now if I spend another year trying to rebuild what I've got, um, they're not going anywhere. And Twitch has plenty of issues. It has all sorts of horrible, rabid, toxic crap that is attached to that platform, but it's there. And if you, you know, and Every community that is built there, you kind of choose what kind of people are going to be in your community, hopefully. Um, but my one other theory is maybe Discord could be the, the company that takes oh. them because Discord is, you know, it's got big communities based there already. A lot of it is gaming communities. They've started to dabble in letting you live stream to your own 
server. Um, but I think there's kind of limits on how many people can be watching at any one time and things like that. But it feels like maybe they're just a couple of steps away from it, but they are an independent company. Um, and, and I feel like they have the kind of cultural connection to the gaming community. It means maybe they could be that company that if they were able to launch that, then people could see how positive a competitor it could be to Twitch. Well, I just want to say, though, from the reading I've done, fans of Mixer can rejoice a little bit. The low-latency streaming features are going to be integrated into Microsoft Teams, and clearly that's exactly what everyone hoped for with that one. Oh, I mean, I'm glad <laughs> Teams has learnt some valuable lessons from Mixer and is just going to, like, take it for scrap parts and it's kind embed of it over the- Can I give you the exact <laughs> – this is such a Microsoft uh, statement here. Applying these yeah. fan-centric capabilities to new productivity experiences will create immersive ways for teams to empower people, teams, and organisations to better engage in virtual gatherings at work and school. And, and, and really, that's what we were all looking for all along. Mm, yeah, yep. I need more fan-centric experiences in my productivity apps. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Okay, so a very big day today, clearly. Seamus Byrne, we should be wrapping up, I think, but have you got a tip for us? I do. I've been, I've just, I'm behind the curve here, so plenty of people might have already watched it and enjoyed it, but I wanted to give a huge recommendation to The Last Dance. That's the documentary series about Michael Jordan and the kind of specifically focused around the 1997-98 series uh, of the NBA when they were, Chicago Bulls was kind of aiming for a sixth championship in eight years. Um, And what I love, I've watched kind of the first few episodes and it's it's one of those great series where you go, you do not have to care about basketball to get so much out of this because obviously Michael Jordan just so fundamentally iconic as a person, but I'm like really looking forward to watching the whole thing through with my kids because I think it is one of those documentaries where you sort of watch it. It reminds me a bit of like what I got out of free solo, the one about the, you know, the climber, um, free soloing, um, uh, whatever that El Capitan um, in Yosemite, and then also Hero Dreams of Sushi, the brilliant documentary mm. about this Michelin star um, sushi bar in a railway station in Japan. Uh, and it's that idea of that search for per- search for perfection. Like I just love that kind of sense of here is what it means for someone to just be passionately searching for how to be perfect, how to kind of go through the motions of doing something perfectly. And I think with Michael Jordan, this kind of series is so good at kind of showing how he, it's not that he was necessarily the most fundamentally gifted player of all time. And it's like, yeah, there's an argument that maybe he is, but it's the fact that from his kind of high school days through his college days, it looks a lot of that history stuff where he was just always willing to work harder than the next guy. And that was all the way through his career. And that was then that idea of that's what he expected from his teammates. Once he kind of got to that place that he would demand what he was willing to do from other people as well. And that was a big part of how he elevated the Chicago Bulls into being the greatest team of its era, because it's just that idea of, we, you know, 
if we work harder than everybody else, then we will beat them. Like, and that's so kind of fundamental. Um, there's a great quote in like one of the first episodes from a guy who was on the college team that he joined, um, uh, right near sort of the start of, yeah, his time in college. And there's, yeah, they interview the guy and he's like going, yeah, I was better than Michael for about two weeks. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's like, cause he just came in and he just want, he was always looking for who's the best guy. And I just want to work with that guy to be better than him as quickly as I can. Um, and it's just brilliant. Such, such a good series. So totally worth it. Um, and you know, it's about a lot more than just him, but I just love the kind of the work ethic kind of story that's behind it because it just, yeah, does such a good job where so many times in your brain, you sort of think, well, yeah, he was just, you know, naturally the best player of all time. And it's like, now he worked harder than everybody. And I think that's kind of that great lesson of if you really, really want to be great at anything, then be willing to work for it and you'll probably be able to do it. But boy, do you have to be willing to work for it because the next guy, he might also be willing to work harder than you for it. So how do you make sure that you're, you are the hardest working person in the room? Look, as someone who would never normally voluntarily watch a sporting documentary, you might have actually tipped me over into finally giving The Last Dance a go. That sounds actually amazing. I would say, yeah, just watch the first episode. If it doesn't hook you, no harm, no foul, just kind of move on with your life. But I really feel like watching the first episode is going to sell you on what the journey is going to be. It's great. My tip. How about you, Nick? Not, not nearly as exciting, not nearly as entertaining. All I'm going to say is do not forget that in Australia, we have excellent consumer protections baked into our laws. And yes, it is a lot trickier when you are dealing with an external uh, company, like, for example, Wish.com, just out of nowhere, just plugging that <laughs> just idea. Just for example. But you have a lot of redress if you paid via PayPal or someone like that, you can approach them if the company isn't helping you. And as you can, as I had to do, go direct to your bank. But do not accept being ripped off when we have good protections here and you can keep escalating it and keep taking it to the next person until you get a bit of help. And I'm hopefully going to hear back from the bank soon. So hopefully by next week, I'll be able to report back on how the whole thing went. Yeah. Look, it's such a good... Such a good tip that you can, you know, you can absolutely turn to your bank if everything else has failed. And yeah, that, I mean, that's part of the great part of, you know, using credit cards online and all that sort of stuff is I know banks, you know, more and more just were happy to sort of say, we will help protect you because they could see that they make more money if you use their stuff online <laughs> and they wear the occasional problem on your behalf. Um, so, you know, yeah, definitely a really good thing to always keep in mind. Yeah. Very awesome. Much so. Thank you, Nick. Where can people find your stuff on the internet? Grab me on Twitter. I am at dr underscore Nick or I'm on Facebook. It's uh, just find Nick Healy. I'm there. Or go to the ABC app and tune into Western Plains every morning. You can do that as well. ABC That's Western Plains breakfast show. I'm on from 6.35 a.m. Awesome. I always just like to bring it up now and then. So yeah. We can always listen in any day of the week. <laughs> uh, I'm at Seamus on Twitter. You can also catch us at, at Biteside on Twitter or at The Biteside on Instagram and slash Biteside on Facebook. Email us, ask at Biteside.com. And there's always heaps of other cool stuff going on around the internet from us. So check Biteside.com and you'll get most of it. Or, of course, just search Biteside in your podcast app. And that does actually bring up 
all the other shows as well, which is a handy way to do it. If you're already in your podcast app, why not do that? <laughs> Have a good day, Nick. You and too. I will catch, uh, catch everybody again real soon. Mm-hmm.